0: Don't encourage. I mean, I try, but we'll see. Let's open up to Psalm 41 as we work our way through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Again, if you haven't been here in these studies, you could go back and listen to them or watch them on YouTube. Be praying for our radio ministry. Today they launched Revelation on air across the country. So, Revelation 1 started today uh, in San Francisco. So, there you go. And Alaska. It's in Alaska. There's like four bears that gave their life to Jesus last year. So, (laughs) I want to know how many people are actually up in that town in Alaska. But praise the Lord. They're able to hear that. So, be praying for that, uh, for boldly speaking, the radio ministry. It'll be a powerful book as they revisit some of those things we went through uh, uh, in Revelation and through the pandemic. So, All right, ready First, some encouragement? Here we go. Psalm 41, a psalm of David. Blessed is he who considers the poor, and the Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. And the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. And you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Now the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness, and you will sustain him on his sick bed. And then I said, Lord, be merciful to me, hear my soul, for I have sinned against you. My enemies speak evil of me. <laughs> when will he die, they say, and his name perish? And if he comes to see me he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself, and when he goes out, he tells it. And all who hate me whisper together against me. Against me they devise my hurt. An evil disease, they say, cling to him, and now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, whom I ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be merciful to me, and raise me up that I might repay them. But this I know, that you are well pleased with me, because my enemies, they do not triumph over me. And as for me, you uphold me in my integrity, and set me before your face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, amen and amen. Let's pray again. Lord, do your work today through our heart, through the Psalms, Lord, to be encouraged in the place that we are. We know how powerful your word is, and especially the Psalms, to encourage and and put our feet on the rock. We thank you, Lord, for those around the building serving, and that, Lord, this message does does go uh, across this country in many different communities. And, Lord, we're humbled and blessed by that. And we ask that your word would not return void and that hearts would be changed in those dark areas. So Lord, speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you noticed something about David through these psalms when he talks about his illness? I was thinking about that. How it's kind of regular, isn't it? He brings up how he's ill, he's not feeling good. How many of you, when you get ill, sit down and write a psalm like this? I mean, that's not a condemnation. That is just simply the, the time in which we live in. We, we don't do that anymore because we're so used to going to a chiropractor or getting a pill or doing something, yes? We often don't think like David thinks. Now, now, granted, they had nothing back then uh, to speak of as the medicine that we know, but it, it is interesting how quickly he always goes to God, isn't that? And that we should learn from that through the Psalms how quickly we should go to God in all of the issues of life, be it here with an illness, people speaking against him, being a a betrayal as we see with Ahithophel, a closest ally of him, or any of the situations that we see from the Psalms. It, It is something that we should take to our heart and learn from him, quickly going to the Lord, not waiting till the last minute. Again, God should not be our last resort. He should be our first call when we get through these issues. And so he says in verse 1, Blessed is he who considers the poor, and the Lord will deliver him in a time of trouble. Now, the poor there is applying in this chapter specifically to his infirmity, and the idea is poor in bodily, in his flesh. Now, it also can be uh, true to the other. Just, hey, consider the poor. When you do well to your fellow man, even when that person isn't a follower of Jesus. I will tell you something that amazes me about our nation. Well, it really doesn't because we have based it on a Judeo-Christian morality. But how our nation gives every time there is a disaster around the world, without hesitation. We will have a hospital ship there. We will have our military there. You go find an Arab nation that does that. You go see if China does that. They don't do that because they are not following the true and the living God. And so we have this built inside of us to help the poor and the needy. And David says, hey, when you do that, the Lord will deliver you in a time of trouble. Now, verse 2, the Lord will preserve him and keep him alive. And he will be blessed on the earth, and you will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Again, not that it's doctrinally correct in that if you do this, God has to do that. This is just how David is expressing himself. And again, as we'll, when we get into Job, that's what they were taught in the day, that God blesses those, right? Uh, and you're blessed uh, financially, or you're blessed with health, when the Lord uh, looks upon you with favor. And he says in verse three, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness, but will sustain him on his sick bed. So two things are... if you go back to verse 1, so if I give to the poor or I'm helping the poor out, if someone else is sick and I'm taking care of them, then it would be a reversal upon myself, right? Do good to others, right? It is the golden rule. The golden rule is not how much, you know, gold you can obtain to win. It is do good to others and to, spite, to those who spitefully treat you, right? Your enemies love them. And he says, the Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness, and you will sustain him on his sick bed. And then I said, O Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Now, this is something that in Jesus' day, too, they picked up on. Uh, Because the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Who did the sinning? Because in Christ's day, they taught that if you had some kind of infirmity, you had sinned against the Lord. Do you see how far back this goes? A thousand years before Christ, David is saying the very same things that were taught to him, that obviously, if there is something wrong with me physically or financially, I have sinned. So what does David do? He's covering all of his bases. He says, just in case, I have sinned. Now, uh, David has sinned greatly against the Lord. And it is very possible that his sin uh, and the consequences of his sin is causing him to have, obviously, stress. He killed somebody and he covered it up for an entire year. I don't know about you, uh, but that's kind of stressful. That'll eat at you. You know what fear and worry can do to somebody's body. And so he said, uh, he said heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. He says, my enemies speak evil of me, and they say, <laughs> by the way, these are not the people you want to have um, uh, to your Christmas party. Uh, when will he die? and his name perish. The enemies of the Lord are great and numerous, and the enemies of David were whole nations. Notice in verse 6 it says, and if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. So the, the his enemies come and visit him like uh, Job's friends are going to uh, visit him, but Job's friends aren't speaking lies. They're just speaking in ignorance. And here, David's friends come, when they come, they speak lie, and his, his heart gathers iniquity to himself. So David knows, hey, he, he's just, it's just flattery. He's trying to butter me up. Notice when he goes out, he tells it or it's revealed. And all who hate me whisper together against me and against me they devise my, my hurt. Uh, David can feel the oppression from his enemies, and he can, he can hear. I mean, can you imagine if David had Facebook or Twitter? The, the amount of hate, hate mail and, and all the retweets against, against David. Thank God he didn't have that technology. This was just uh, word of mouth that was going by David's enemies. He says, all who hate me whisper together. So the ideas of backbiting and the gossiping goes all around. An evil disease, they say, clings to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. So even they say, hey, there must be something wrong with David. David has sinned against him because he has an evil disease. And then verse 9 says, even my own familiar friend, and just as a note, this is a Ahithophel, one of his closest advisors. He said, even in my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Now, in John chapter 13, verse 18, uh, Jesus red letters, speaking, uses this of Judas. But let me read to you the difference. He said, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So, notice that Jesus did not say, in whom I trust, knowing in advance that Judas would betray him the Lord never trusted Judas. And so he simply said, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So you can write next to that scripture reference of John 13, 18 fulfilled in the New Testament. And then listen to David as he closes out this psalm. He says, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up that I might repay them. <laughs> now, Good part of the first, uh, the first part of the verse, good. Second part, you can't say that anymore. This is the New Testament. You got to love your enemy, right? Although you feel like this all the time, you're like, Lord, get them, But you can't. You can't do that. They will know that we are Christians by our love, not by our hate or by our, um, you know, getting back at them. He says, but you, O Lord, be merciful to me and raise me up. The more that God is merciful to us, the more that we are merciful to others. The more that we experience the grace of God, the more grace we give other people, unmerited favor. They don't deserve it, but we give it anyway. In fact, we bless them even when they don't deserve it. And by this, verse 11, I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. Again, God had a plan for David, just like for Job. Job wasn't going to die, although Job did not know that. He didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. But David was in the palm of God's hand. And God had a purpose for David, and he has a purpose for all of us. Until that purpose is done... You and I are secure in knowing that we are, well, we're untouchable. Unless God desires to lower that hedge, let's ask him not to do that. Keep that hedge high. But this is a good principle. David says, I know that you are well pleased with me because my enemy does not triumph over me. But as for me, you uphold me in my integrity. That means... Uh, God is keeping David in line. Uh, Think about his his sin with Bathsheba and with his killing of Uriah. How did he keep him in line? Well, he gave him a whole year to confess it. But then at the end of the year, he brought Nathan the prophet. And he says, Dave, look, uh, you got to reconcile with God. God knows exactly what you did. You can't hide it. And so uh, the Lord helped David in his integrity, and he set me before your face forever. Now verse 13 is actually not part of Psalm 41. This is the end of book one. Remember there are five books inside of Psalm. We talked about that on Psalm 1 in the introduction. And each of the, at the end of these five books inside of Psalm is this of a verse which is, "Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting." Amen and amen." And the idea is it closes out that book. And so uh, that takes us into Psalm 42. Now we had just uh, read these the last couple of weeks in our Sunday morning, so we're about to go over that, which is quite interesting. I actually don't think that's happened before. <laughs> Psalm 42 contemplation of the sons of Korah. And the idea there is it's instructional. So you can write that on the top. This is meant to be instructional, to learn from it. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul, O God. Now think about this. A camel stores his own water. Yes, lucky, easy. But what does a deer have to do? A deer has to find water water. And a deer doesn't want to find dirty old cistern water. He wants to find uh, free flowing water. I mean, even up at our property, I'm amazed at the dirty water that the the deer will go to. But there's like a stream down the, there's like, you know, a half a mile right on our property. Just go there, guys. But they'll go and they'll drink from there. And what is that going to do? It's going to make them sick. There's, Lord knows what's in that little dirty water. Mosquito junk and turkey poo. I don't know what's in there. There's turkeys all around mocking me all the time up there. As the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. Now listen uh, to the psalmist here. Uh, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God? The idea here is that, we pant for the water. We want to be refreshed. What does water do for us? What is the, wa- the washing of the water of the word? We know that from the New Testament. So as we come in each week, it, I don't know about you, but you're like, you're, you're panting as you're sitting down. I need a fresh filling of God's word. I need to drink it in. He said, my, th- my soul thirsts for God. Please note with me, the living God. And when shall I come and appear before God? He said, my tears have been my food day and night, and while they continually say to me, where is your God? Um, <laughs> so from piggybacking on the last chapter where the enemies of David are coming against him uh, in his situation, isn't it funny how the enemies, your enemies come against you and your low point, point? and the psalmist, he echoes that, and he says, Uh, notice what they say all the time where is your god Um, there was some really nasty things that happened over the last two years on our nation and one of them which got zero press which which was the pagan world going after the christian community and saying this very topic where is your god and it was nasty, and it wasn't covered, and no one knows about the persecution that is truly going on inside of our nation. Oh, it's words right now, but words don't stay there. They eventually go into something physical. And notice it says, where is your God? It's interesting to me that this phrase was used in the death camps of the Jews. Not only by the Nazis but also of the Jews inside of the camp. And they they would say, where is our God? And the Nazis would say, where is your God? I thought that he was this powerful. Why isn't he saving you from that? Isn't it interesting how the enemies of God always come against and use that phrase, where is your God? Now notice what the psalmist does. He goes backwards and he brings up and tries to remember what it was like. He said, when I remember these things, I poured out my soul within me. For I used to go to the multitude and I went with them to the house of God. And with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. Note how he says, I remembered what I used to do. But it's interesting what he says here. Did you see that? He said, <laughs> "He said I used to go up with the multitude. The idea is I used to go to the temple. I used to be a part of the feast. I used to do that. I used to go to church. So where are you? Not to get super off topic, but listen. Inside of the church, we do so much damage to our own Walk with God when we don't come to church. When we think that something's happened, that God, you know, isn't going to forgive me, or people at church are going to hear about it, and I'm embarrassed about it. Look, you walk in embarrassed, fine. Come sit down, hear God's word, repent, and be joyful again, amen? Don't do what the psalmist did, which don't say, I used to go to the multitude. I'm looking in the camera get back to church. The most terrible thing that you could ever do is stay at home. That is why the enemies of God wanted the church to stay at home and still does in different parts of the country and of the world. They, they don't want us meeting together. They, don't, they know that there is power in this room. There is power in God's word because it forgives and it transforms life. And they don't want you to be transformed because they're miserable and they want to keep you miserable. Can I get an amen there? Okay. Okay. (laughs) So don't do verse 4. I used to go with the multitude and I went with them to the house of God. Listen, he remembers that it used to be joyful and praising God. He said, well, the multitude, when I kept the pilgrims' feast, it's important when we come to the house of God that, look, this is the most amazing. It is very hard to describe this. This is the most amazing thing that you're ever going to do on this side of heaven, is hang out with a bunch of weirdos (laughs) every week and be a part of their lives that you would never be a part of. Be a part of somebody's life for 19 years, huh, Katrina? It's amazing. It really is amazing inside of God's house. And then verse 5 is the result of it, of not going to church. What's the result of that? How many of you had, uh, don't show hands, we don't need to freak anybody out. How many of you had COVID and did what you were supposed to and quarantined for a little while? right? How, how much did your soul long to get back into church? You're like, I can't stand it at home. I, I got to be around God's family. I got to be encouraged. You know, the internet is fine, but only a limited amount of time. Get back into church. And so the result is listen, what he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him with the help of his countenance. So, why are you cast down, O my soul? Because you're not in church. You're not around the believers. You're in the world. And whatever you've done before, get back to church, get back into fellowship. Listen, we will love you, will we not? We will not snicker about you and put a little you know, scarlet letter uh, on your chest to define your sin. We will love you. We will weep with you. We will do whatever we can to get you back into fellowship. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Get back and listen, and your soul won't be cast down. It is amazing what happens when you sit down, listen to the worship, and start hearing God's word how your bad day goes from bad day to glorious, doesn't it? Just in a couple of verses. And isn't it amazing how no matter where we are and the amount of people that we have, both services on Sunday, that God's word is hitting each one in a different area where they are specifically, and you come out of here refreshed. Now, I don't mean to hit this point, but that's what's hard about topical teaching. Because you only get a little bit of a line here or there. We're giving you so many verses that that on a given Sunday and a given Wednesday, God is going to minister to you right where you are through God's word. Isn't that great? And so your soul won't be cast down and it won't be disquieted within me. But here's, here's the good news. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him with the help of his countenance. And God will help you if you come and you meet with him and you come into his house and your heart is genuine and open. Lord, I, I want to have fellowship again with you and again with your people. He will help you. He said, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the height of Hermon, and from the hill of Mitzra. So He's he's going to go back, and if we can get to the last chapter we're going to do tonight, it is a history lesson of what God has done in the nation of Israel. And this is always good to remember what God has done in your life. He says, I remember you. He says, deep calls unto deep at the noises of your waterfall and the waves of your billow have gone gone over me. Again, he's remembering the times of refreshment in his life and how God had just poured out his spirit upon you at a moment where you needed it and you were refreshed. Isn't that good news? You, How many of you have, haven't even asked for it and God just poured it upon you? He knew exactly where you were. Those are great times. That's what he remembers here. He says in verse 8, the Lord will command is loving kindness in the daytime and at the night, his song shall be with me in a prayer to the God of my life. And then I will say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me and why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? So listen to what he, it's the same thing over and over, same theme. He's feeling oppression and so he thinks, that God is not with him and that God has walked away from him. That, That is simply not the case. What did we say in the beginning of Job? We live on a fallen world with sinners all around us, right? And the sinners aren't outside the building, although they are. Look around. We're all sinners too. And we're all going through these same things. He says, so why have you forgotten me? God hasn't forgotten us. He said, Verse 10, you can feel his, his pain here. He says, as with the breaking of my bones, my enemy reproach me. Yes, sticks and stones. <laughs> he, he feels the reproach of the enemy and he feels like it's just beating him down. He says, why do they say to me all day long? And he comes back to it again. Where is your God? By the way, the enemy loves to say that to you as well. He said, again, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So the solution to your soul being cast down uh, is to, it is very simple. It is God's word, and it's God's people, and it's fellowship. And it's WXMB 101.5 FM here locally on Myrtle Beach, right? It's hearing God's word continually. Listen, the moment you feel any oppression or anything, get a Bible study turned on. Just turn it on. Let God's word, just like that billow, come over you and wash over you. That is the protection. Put put that podcast on. Put a YouTube video on. Put some uh, Christian music on and let it just overflow you. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. For you are the God of my strength, but why do you cast me off? And why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? O send out your light and your truth, and let them lead me, and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. And then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of my exceeding joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. And why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So tying 42 and 43 together, he says, vindicate me. And the idea is lay my case out before me. And see if the, the idea is, see if there is something that I have done wrong that has caused my enemy to be against me. But that's, that's wrong, isn't it? Because your enemy will always be your enemy no matter what. The enemies of God, the enemies of the church will always be against you. They, they don't have to have a reason. You know why? They're, they're pagan. Listen, how many of you before Christ were, was that person against somebody that was a believer? Well, then you have full knowledge of what that's like. They didn't, they didn't need to give you a rhyme or reason. You were just happy to say, where is your God now? So vindicate me, Lord, O God, and plead my cause against the ungodly nations. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust men. Now, we can pray that, but the reality is, this is the reality of the world in which we live in. We are followers of Christ and have a giant target on our back. It is like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Either we're going to get burned up in the fire and no big deal, we'll go, we'll go home, or God will deliver us. But nevertheless, Nebuchadnezzar, I will not bow to you. That is always going to be until we go home to be with Christ. It is always a battle. You are either going into a battle or in a battle or coming out of a battle. And when you're coming out of a battle like Job, you're like, yes. And then, oh, wait. The washer went out. The tire went this or that. I mean, it just, it seems, it seems to be nonstop. Have you, have you noticed that? It, it's nonstop. Because we live on planet earth. And it will always be like that. That's why eternity is going to be so special. <laughs> no Facebook. No Twitter, no nothing, no no, just crazy. It's, he says, deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man, for you are the God of my strength. And this, listen again. I mean, You feel for the, the psalmist, do you not? Oftentimes, we, we think the same thing. It doesn't mean that it's right, but we think this. We think, Lord, why did you cast me off? Did you in heaven discuss my name before Satan? Was that it? Just like Job? Was it you had nothing? To, how many of you have always heard that? You, you, you had nothing to do in eternity, and you said, let's become Ron today. But that's not how it is with our loving Father. It's just the world in which we live in. But again, they were taught something different back then. And Job was taught something different. And the religious leaders taught the people in Jesus' day something that wasn't biblical. He says, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? Uh, Let me say it this way. You shouldn't mourn at the oppression of your enemy. You should rejoice in Jesus Christ. It says in Acts that they rejoice, that they they... Uh, suffered persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. They were excited that they got beat up for Jesus, that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. Do you see the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament? Now, don't go out finding it. You don't need to be on the wacko on the corner, right? Right? We don't need to do that. We need to have a good testimony, but we need to remember that this is going to happen. He says in verse 3, Oh, send out your light and your truth. You can highlight that or underline that. Man, that is what we need in, not only in our day, but around the world, the light of God. Jesus said men love darkness rather than light. And so that light, you, okay, do you know why you get oppression and you get abuse from your family members, especially around the holidays? Because you walk into their home, and you're a 1,000-watt light bulb. And it blinds them. Why do they ask you to do the prayer? What do we always say? This year, give them both barrels of Jesus. And, I mean, get a little Pentecostal. In Jesus' name. Thank you for the mashed potatoes something like that. If they're going to ask you to do it, just get into it. Don't ask me to pray anymore then. (laughs) But your light, and then what's the other part of it? Truth. They hate that we stand for truth. They can't stand it. And so everything that they're doing is a lie and it's in darkness and it's hidden and then we stand up for the truth that there is, there is only two genders and God doesn't make mistakes. Life begins at conception. These are truths. And yet, they will come against that message. He says, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. So the psalmist has great wisdom for us is that we follow the light and the truth of Jesus, not man. But notice what he says. He says, let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Drive me back to church. Your light and your truth should point me always back to church. He says in verse 4, and then I will go to the altar of God, to the God of my exceeding joy. Listen, when we come to church, listen to him. He says, we're going to the altar. The altar is where I sacrificed, right? We come, as, as Peter will tell us, we are living sacrifices. Our body, we are doulos. We are servants of the Most High God. I give him my life. He says, to God, my exceeding joy. And on the harp, or we could say on the guitar, I will praise you, O God, my God. And then he goes back to it again. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Psalm 44, last one little history lesson. Contemplation. Again, learning from, we should learn from this psalm. It is instructional to the sons of Korah. Come and, uh, come, be our help, the psalmist says, and learning from what God has done. We have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us the deeds you did in their days, in the, d- the days of old. Now, right out of the bat, First, uh, the first thing that we apply this into our own life, are we expressing what God has done in our life? That is an easy way, obviously as a parent, but to other people as a testimony. Listen, you go through what you go through so you could be a help to somebody else who was going through the same thing. This is what God's done through our life. It's been a miracle and we praise God. It's an encouragement. He said, the deeds you did in their days. When, when they go back in, uh, in Nehemiah and Ezra after the captivity, and they go and they rebuild the walls, right? That's Nehemiah, and Ezra builds the temple. But after they're done building the temple, remember what it says? The old guys are like, man, we remember. I mean, that's like a shack. Compared to Solomon's day, I remember the temple and they were weeping over the former things. Not realizing that God had done this new work in their life and they're back in Israel. Who cares if the temple isn't that great? It is a place where God is. Aren't you? We've had five buildings here at Cafe Chapel Myrtle Beach and most of the buildings we have been in normal people wouldn't go to. And I'm just thankful that we have a place each week to come together, have some coffee, have your kids steal like 25 mints. We're cracking down on that. Got cameras right over the mint trays. We know who you are. And it's so easy to say, well, that was the former and that was the great times. We have to be careful with that. So he remembers, but we have to be careful about what we remember because we could say, well, the Jesus movement was the greatest time in the 60s and early 70s, and look what Pastor Chuck did and all this. And then I look at our little church with radio and a property and our church, and all that we have been able to do, disaster relief through a church less than 300 people? Guys, I'm just telling you, I mean, I don't want to get uh, steal your crown, but you're going to get a, a cool little button in heaven <laughs> for what this church has accomplished on this side of eternity. It is a blessing. He says, You drove out the nation, so this goes into the history lesson. You drove out the nations with your hand, but you planted, he planted Israel, and you afflicted the people, the people that they cast out, uh, and you cast them out. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, again speaking of Israel, nor nor did their own arms save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance because you favored them. So the history lesson is that God drove them out, the nations, the pagans, after 400 years in Egypt, and they came out. And what I love about that is that they're coming into the promised land, and God says, you're going to a place that has already built homes, already built uh, vineyards and orchards, It's all there. You just have to move in. Notice it wasn't by their own hand or their own sword. It is all what God has done. And that which we echo here at Calvary Chapel on Myrtle Beach, it's all of what God has done. Uh, Four, he says, you are my king, O God. Command victories for Jacob. And the idea is what you did in the past Please do in the future. And there's nothing wrong with that. I say, if God wants to bring some hippies around, let's save them. We got an ocean. Whatever you did in that time, Lord, do now or do something different. But it doesn't matter. We just, we just want to be a part of it. He says, though you will push down our enemies. I'm sorry. Through you, we will push down our enemies. Sorry. And through your name, we will trample those... <laughs> Who rise up again. So, you can't say that. I mean, we want to say, Lord, destroy our enemy, but you can't. He says, I will not trust in my bow, nor shall my sword save me. They knew, well, hopefully, this group and this psalmist knew that it was all what God had done and not themselves. If you. If you ever want to see how powerful God is on planet earth and how that I know that there is a God on planet earth it is simply the nation of Israel. God has declared it it is the apple of his eye from Abraham on through and then when they when after 70 AD when the Romans came in and utterly destroyed all Jerusalem killed over a million Jews during that time, but they were spread all over the world. Most of them went to Europe. And for the next 1,800 years, the Jewish people were in exile and that God protected them. And God allowed the Holocaust to happen so that the the nations of the world would allow the Jews to come back into their land And in May 14, 1948, they once again became a nation. How do I know there's a God? Because we've got an Israeli flag out there. Because that's never happened before. How many of you have met an Assyrian lately? Anybody uh, hang out with a Hittite? How about a Perizzite? How about a Jebusite? All these nations are gone. No nation has ever been exiled and then come back And I was, um, I don't remember where, it it was on our station, I don't know if it was Jan Markell or uh, one of them, but this author had done this extensive research just on Israel and the learning, the relearning of Hebrew and how it came back, because no one spoke Hebrew. They spoke Yiddish in this other form that was in Spain. You had Yiddish in uh, Europe and this other dialect in uh, Spain, but they did not. They didn't know. They didn't know Hebrew at all. The only one that spoke Hebrew were a couple of the people inside of the temple, the rabbis, and the author says they didn't even know what they were saying. They just were taught to say this, but they didn't really know what they were saying. And it was Ben Yehuda. And in Israel, if you go around, you'll find Ben Yehuda streets all around Israel because they're named after the father of bringing Hebrew back to the nation. When they established the nation, they said, we will have Hebrew as our national tongue. No one spoke Hebrew. And so Ben Yehuda worked for years because, listen, Hebrew was dead in 70 AD-ish. From that point until May 14, 1948, there are new words. Do you know that? New words that are invented. He had to invent words to go into the Hebrew. That's what God did through his people, and today they speak Hebrew. Something that others would think would be impossible, but that's what God did, all because he loved them just as much as Jesus loves us and died for us. He said, for I will not trust in my bow nor my sword shall save me because it's all of what God had done. But you have saved us from our enemies and you've put to shame those who have hated us. In God we boast all day long and praise your name forever, Selah, or what do you think about that? People often ask us, why does Calvary Chapel have such a strong stance of Israel? And I say, well, doesn't it say I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you? I don't know about you, but I believe in the Bible and I I take it literally. And there is no such thing as a Palestinian. It's a made-up group. It was a derogatory term that the Romans used against anybody that lived in Palestine in the days of Jesus. It was a derogatory term. But we're supposed to believe that apparently. He said, you made us turn back from our enemy and those who have hated us have taken the spoil for them. And you have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us amongst the nations. So God did this work in Israel established them through the kings they rejected God and God's prophets and his messengers and then he exiled them first to Assyria and then to Babylon notice he says and you have given us up like sheep intended for food and have scattered us among the nations and you sell your people for the for next to nothing and are not enriched by selling them and you make us a reproach to our neighbors and a scorn and a derision to all of those around. And the idea of that is the nations were taught, oh, it was the God of the Bible. That's what you could... Jehovah. I thought he was this great and powerful God that was going to do this work in the nation of Israel. And, and there would always be a king on the throne of David. But the people needed to say, yeah, but we blew it. We rebelled against God, and we walked away from his precepts. He said, and you make us a byword among the nation and a shaking of the head among the people. Verse 15, my dishonor is continually before me, and the shame of my face has covered me. And because of the voice of him who reproaches and reviles, and because the enemy and the avenger... And all this has come upon us, but we have not forgotten you, nor have we dealt falsely with your covenant. In verse 17, the psalmist realizes that it's the nation of Israel's fault and it's not God's. And that how many times God sent his prophets? How many times did they reject it? Jesus said, which prophets did your fathers not kill? And the psalmist, he, he understands that. He says, all of this have come upon us because of what we have done. Verse 18, our heart has not turned back, nor our steps departed from your way. But you have severely broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. And if we had forgotten the name of our God or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out for he knows the secrets of his heart. You can hear the psalmist a little bit here. He's he's bummed out because he's like, well, there there are plenty who didn't uh, walk away from your name, Lord, who kept your precepts. but he understands that the, the nation as a whole, they walked away. It's just like in Jesus' day when they said, let this man's blood be upon us and upon our what? Our children. He said... Yet, for your sake, we are killed all the day long, and we are accounted as sheep before the slaughter. Awake, why do you sleep, O Lord? Arise, do not cast us off forever. Now, it could seem in that that time where he is very bummed out to the place where you you can hear it. Listen to him. He says, Awake, why are you sleeping, O God? But what did God tell Jeremiah? How long will they be in Babylon? He told him exactly. 70 years so why would and I don't mean it this way but why would God talk to them until that time is done think about think about father Abraham he didn't hear from God for 25 years but Abraham knew what God had told him in the beginning he he didn't hear from him for another 25 years can we like Israel do what we're told to do without ever hearing from God again and knowing that I'm going to walk into eternity based on the promises inside of his word. He says, why do you hide your face and forget our affliction and our oppression? Now, again, it can seem like that. It can seem like God is not seeing that. It it, it can seem, uh, are we not going to hear Job for 30-some chapters say the, the exact same thing? Lord, where are you? Why are you not hearing me? God's allowing Job to just vent. And then at the end, he's going to say, okay, buddy, are you done? Where were you when I formed everything? Where were you when I formed Leviathan and Bohemoth and the stars and the Pleiades and I called him out by name? This is a foreshadowing of what's coming in Job. But he, I mean, in the most loving way, goes off on Job. like. Buddy, I have listened to you for 30 some chapters. I've had it. I can't stands no more. <laughs> Quoting Popeye. And then he lays his argument all out. And then what does Job do in the last chapter? We we keep reading it. <laughs> I don't know nothing. Perfect. That's where God wanted him to be. So, we can we can understand Verse 24, why do you hide your face? But God doesn't hide his face against his children. He just doesn't do that. For our soul is bowed down to the dust and our body clings to the ground. Again, we can all feel that way, but feelings don't equal the reality. Feelings lie. Feelings mislead us. That's why I say over and over, as a believer, Feeling should not be the main part of walking with Christ because there are times where I don't feel like coming to church. I don't care. Get up. I, if I have to be here. <laughs> I mean, you know those winter days? It's so cold outside. You've got all your flannel on. you you got 35 blankets on top of you, and you're in there, and you're in your cocoon, and you go, oh, it's Sunday. We know what it's like, but feelings should not dictate that. uh, I will not go off on that because I'm right at the end. This is our problem in our nation. We are a reacting, feeling nation rather than a common sense nation of logic and reason. So if anything that we feel, I don't care what you feel like. I have a shirt, something, and I don't know the exact words, but it's something like... I don't care what your feelings are like because it doesn't dictate my choice and my freedom with the First and Second Amendment and all the amendments. The idea is that your feelings don't trump my rights as a citizen. And that's the same thing as my rights in eternity. Whatever your feeling is doesn't necessarily mean that that's right. Listen to the feeling of the psalmist. But he's not right. He's bummed out. But he's not right. And then lastly, he says, arise for our help <laughs> and redeem us in your mercy's sake. He can't even get into something good. He just says, Lord, you got to help me and lift my feet off of the ground. He says, for your mercy's sake. Just pour your mercy upon me <laughs> and just get it. It's kind of like Job's wife. Just curse God and die. Just do Have you ever said something to the Lord Lord like this? Lord, I haven't heard from you. I haven't done, uh, you know, I feel like I'm in this place like the psalmist. Uh, Just do something. Just let me, bad or good, just do something so I know. But again, for 30-some chapters, Job, it's silent from heaven. And Job never really gets his questions answered. Well, read ahead next week. (laughs) Sorry, that wasn't as perky of an ending. As we continue in the Psalms, Job on Sunday morning, you'll be excited at how quickly our pace will head through those, those chapters in Job. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. We thank you for the Psalms, Lord, even though some of them uh, in their feelings and their heart, Lord, we understand, but oftentimes, Lord, it doesn't apply to us on this side of the cross. And Lord, we are to love our enemies, to do good to those who spitefully treat us, to be examples, Lord, when those around us in our workplace are, are not obeying the rules and not following the rules, we need to be the ones who are to have integrity like Job, to have a testimony and a witness. And so, Lord, we thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all that you do for us, your mercies and your grace. We thank you, Lord, for this church and all that you've done through this little body of believers. We give you all the praise and all the glory due your name. Thank you, Lord, for using us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand.